you're able, would you remain standing? And for this morning's scripture reading, we're turning to uh, the, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2. We're returning to 1 John next Sunday. We're going to read verses 4 through 10 of Colossians, chapter 2. This is the word of our Lord. Now this I say, lest anyone should receive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us, even as we consider Christ this morning. We pray that you drive us, you drive us by your Spirit to thankfulness in our hearts. For asking Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As we go through this sermon today, I want you to just keep playing your head this question. Am I thankful in Christ? That's it. That's the, that's the one assignment for this morning. Am I thankful in Christ? And we're going to see that from this, this passage. Now, have you noticed how Thanksgiving as a holiday has disappeared from the public life of America? Uh, you have Halloween stuff in the store till October 31st, and then on November 1st, it's Christmas. And there's no more Thanksgiving. It's gone. Yet, Thanksgiving is one of the few public holidays that actually have a biblical basis. That is, we are encouraged to have to be thankful, to be a thankful people, encouraged by the Bible to take time to thank the Lord. Now in the Bible, the life of the Christian is marked by thanks to God. Uh, I encourage you to maybe go to BibleGateway.org or, or an app in your phone and, and just uh, try to do a search for thank as a wild card, like if there's a way to, to look for thanks and thankfulness and thanked all together and to see the abundance of references to that in the scriptures. And the main foundation, the main reason for thanksgiving in the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that here in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which is what we're going to be considering uh, um, to this morning. So as we make our way through these two verses, ask yourselves, am I thankful for Christ? Am I thankful for Christ? Paul points out in verse 6 that thanksgiving is the result of having received Jesus Christ. So a person cannot really truly be thankful in the biblical sense of the word unless one has come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. As you therefore have received Jesus the Lord, the Christ Jesus the Lord, and then you skip down in verse 7, abound with thanksgiving. So as you receive Jesus Christ, you are abound in thanksgiving. 
the Colossians had received Jesus Christ. And we tend to think about receiving Christ as a subjective thing, something that happens to each individual person. Uh, we think of it in terms of receiving Jesus into our hearts or accepting Jesus into our hearts, and we need to do that. Every person must come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Individual, personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody can ride the coattails of anybody else. So if, you're, if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you meet Jesus Christ right here. You don't have to wait for any other time. You don't have to think about it. Today you commit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And all of us have to do that. But that's not what Paul is talking about in Colossians 2, 6, when he talks about receiving Jesus Christ. The Colossians received Christ from the apostles. They objectively received the teachings concerning Christ. And that's what caused them to be thankful. The whole truth about Christ that they received from the apostles. God gave to Paul this truth. Paul gave to Epaphras, who was the guy that founded the church in Colossae, and Epaphras passed on to them. Now, as a side note, by the time Paul wrote Colossians, he had never met them. He's not writing to a church he knows. He's writing to a church that belongs to Christ, and because he's an apostle of Christ, then he speaks to them. And we can see that that's really what Paul's talking about, the objective receiving of the truth concerning Christ. By the way, he refers to faith in verse 7. He just doesn't say just faith in general, but says the faith. A objective, explicit, explicitly taught and manifested faith, a creed, a system of doctrines concerning Christ, much like what Jude said to the churches when he wrote that we are contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. And, and Paul contrasts that, that the teaching concerning Christ, the apostolic teaching concerning Christ, the Christ-filled tradition with the empty traditions of man in verse 8. It says, Be thankful for Christ, not for the empty philosophy of the world that's tempting you to go to something else. It's interesting that pretty much every letter in the New Testament has some sort of warning against our pursuing of the world, our, 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 being, our drifting away from Christ. And that leads us to think that that's something that we are prone to, to wander away from the centrality of Christ in our, in our life. Not just necessarily wander away from the church or even from Christianity, but the centrality of Christ in everything that we do. So the Colossians received Christ, and because of that, they abounded in thanksgiving. They received the whole truth concerning Christ, the whole doctrine of Christ. Brothers and sisters, isn't it, isn't it what the church is supposed to do? To receive Christ from those who have gone before us and make sure that those who come after us receive Christ as well? Now, sure, we have the Bible and it's published and people can read the Bible, but really, the Word of God is entrusted to a people, to His church. And His church receives from the previous generation the truths of Christ and He makes sure the next generation has it. That's the teaching of Psalm 78. If you could keep your finger there in Colossians and turn to Psalm 78 for a second, for a minute. Psalm 78, uh, we're going to just look at verses 1 through 7. The psalmist says, One of my seminary professors always said, wait till the pages stop turning before I start reading. <laughs> 
Psalm 78 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And dark doesn't mean that bad, means uh, 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 not known. That's the idea of dark here. Uh, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So here's a psalmist. He's getting ready to tell them about all the works of God to the next generation because the fathers made sure that they knew it. And continuing, he says, we will not hide them from their children. So they won't hide them from their father's children, which would be then their, their immediate children as well. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. And the generation to come might know them, the children who would not be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Do you, do you keep track? There's about 10 references to receiving and pass it on, receiving and pass it on. And Paul says, Colossians, be thankful because you have received. Your fathers in the faith have passed it on to you, Christ and His fullness. On a side note, uh, those of you who have grown up in a Christian home, a faithful Christian home, in which your parents pass to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no better existence than that. Now, um, that was not how I grew up. Uh, I wish I had had Sunday School 101 with my parents, that that never happened. And I'm so thankful that you kids who've grown up in the church didn't have to go through that. That thankfully your parents received from the pre-generation what Christ gave them and handed to you. Don't rebel against that. Don't kick back against the goes as Christ told Christ. Follow what you've been handed. Make it yours. And be thankful that you have received Christ. Now, back in Colossians chapter 2, who was the Christ that the Colossians received from the apostles? Look at verse 6 again. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's, that's whom they received. Christ Jesus the Lord. You notice that there is a, that, that uh, Paul inverts here. He usually, talks, he usually talks about Jesus Christ. But here is Christ Jesus, the Lord, that they received. And this is a title. He's, uh, the word Christ is often used as a name for Jesus. But here, because it's the first word, Paul's using as a, as a title for Jesus Christ, which means the Messiah, the Anointed One. They received Jesus as the Anointed One of God, the One who fulfills all the prophecies and requirements of the Old Testament. The One that uh, Jesus Himself, in Luke 24, opened the Old Testament completely, the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms, and taught them from them from the Old Testament. This is the one they received, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one who fulfills all things. And they received Him as Jesus as well. Not only the Christ, but as Jesus, the historical Savior. The one who was born in a manger in Bethlehem. The one who grew up in Nazareth, who died outside of Jerusalem, and who came back to life on the third day. That's the one they received. But they also received Him as Lord. Christ Jesus, the Lord. The one who is sovereign over everything. The one who is God Himself 
in the flesh. The word Lord in Paul's writings is not simply a title of sovereignty. It is a title of divinity. In the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament that was largely used among the Jewish community and the early Christian community, the word kurios, which is the word for Lord in the New Testament, is used to translate the name of God, that the name of the God chose for himself. You know, we use the word Jehovah. You've heard the word Jehovah and so on. Yahweh is the actual word that God chose for himself. That's his name. And faith, the faithful Christians have used the word Lord to refer to that name. And that's also the practice of the New Testament, that the word Lord is used to, re- to translate the name of God, Yahweh. We, said that, we see that clearly in Romans chapter 10. We're not going to turn there, but you're familiar with that. It says, if you confess with your mouth, what? The Lord, Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from that, you shall be saved. For, and then he quotes Joel chapter 2, in where he says, whosoever calls the name of the Lord. The word Lord there in Joel is Yahweh. And he says, that is Jesus Christ himself. That's the Lord you call. So they received him as the Christ, the anointed one of, of God, the one who fulfills all the Old Testament predictions and prophecies about the, the taking away of the sins of the world. They received him as Jesus, the historical man who actually lived on this earth and came back to life and now sits at the right of the Father. But also received him as Lord, as God himself. And because of that, they abounded in thankfulness. And so receiving Jesus means receiving him in each and all of these ways. A Jesus who is less than the Savior who lived in history. A Jesus who is less than the anointed one of God. A Jesus who is less than the divine is not the Jesus of the Bible and cannot save you from your sins. This is a package deal. We either receive the whole deal or receive nothing. We don't get to pick and choose what aspects of Jesus, Jesus we like. It's all or nothing. We're going to see more of this next week, Lord willing, as we look at First John chapter uh, 2. But because of who Jesus is, and because of our faith in Him, we are to live in a certain way that, again, displays that we are abounding in thanksgiving. Look at verse 6 again. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I know you know this, but uh, it's always, I believe it's always good to state the obvious. Uh, the word walk here is not necessarily talking about you putting a foot in front of the other. Uh, it's talking about the way you live. And it is the main verb of what Paul is saying here in verses 6 and 7. It means that it, it conveys the idea, the main idea that Paul is teaching. The center here is that you're going to walk. You're going to live in a certain way that's going to display that you're abounding in thanksgiving in the Lord. And so this idea governs all the other ideas in verse 7 and 6. The other action words in verse 7 and 6 describe the way that we are to live, the way that we are to walk there. So Jesus, in our lives, produces change. That's the point that Paul is making here. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Live a certain way, because Jesus is in you. You received Him. You received all the teachings concerning Jesus. That should cause you to walk in a certain way. There's no such thing as an untransformed Christian. 
There's no such thing as a static Christian. True faith will result in obedience. Obedience won't cause true faith, but true faith is going to result in obedience. There is no such thing as an unchanged Christian. That doesn't exist, in the Bible at least. That's not a category that we are allowed to to use. Uh, That's what James says in James 2.26, For as a body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you say that you receive Jesus to your blue in the faith and yet not face nothing in your life shows that. There's no reason for anyone to believe your claims. And in verse 7, Paul explains what, how that living looks like. He says, Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. All the action words in this verse describes how the walk or the living of those who receive Christ look like. And, and notice the first district, descriptive word is the word rooted. Christ, we are rooted in Christ. And this word is written in a... Uh, I just realized this is a very Greeky sermon. I'm sorry about that, but bear with me. And it may be a blessing at the end uh, for you. Uh, this word here is written in a grammatical tense that means that the action conveyed by it happened prior to the action of the main verb. That is, we're rooted in Christ even before we start to walk in Him. The rooting happened prior to our, our obedience. Our obedience has not caused our rooting in Christ. We've been rooted in Him, and because of that, we start to walk. And we walk continually rooted in Christ. The walk of life of a Christian is described as having been rooted in Christ prior to the beginning of the walk and to continue to be rooted in Christ uh, uh, in that way. Uh, And as Paul continues to describe the Christian life, Paul and this idea of rooted is the idea of, uh, of, a, of a, a plant being grounded, rooted in the ground. We are in Christ, rooted in Him, where we are in the rich soil that provides growth for a uh, Christian. Christ is that soil. All the nutrients we need to grow, all the nutrients we need to walk in Him are provided by Him. Christ is the source of all grace that a Christian needs to walk in a life that is abounding in thanksgiving. And and as the soil which the Christian is planted, Christ provides stability to the the Christian. We're rooted in Him. And this rooting is not like the weeds in my yard. I don't know if your yard has weeds. Our yard has weeds. And I don't like picking weeds. But there's some weeds that come out Easily. Now you pull and the whole root comes out and that's just great joyful thing when that happens and you, you do a section and you feel, you know, really accomplished and then you don't look at the other sections after that. That's not the rooting that uh, Paul is talking about here. The rooting that he's talking about here is the dandelion sort of rooting. Have you ever tried to, to you know, dig out dandelions? The root goes deep and are difficult to remove on... On the, uh, on the dry months, when everything's brown, guess what's green? The dandelions. Because their fruit, their, their roots go deep for the nutrients. And even when you remove the top of the dandelion, which may give you some measure of uh, 
satisfaction for a moment, guess what's going to come up in the next couple of days? More leaves, because the root system is so strong. And that's how the Christian is rooted in Christ, as the basis for his or her life. No matter what happens at the top, the heart is grounded, rooted in Christ, where all the nutrients come from. And the living comes from that. Next, Paul continues to describe the life of the Christian by using a construction term. In verse 7 again, says that we are in Christ, um, rooted and built up in Him. This word expresses the idea of building that is a building that is anchored in our in a foundation, where a foundation is laid, and everything else now is anchored in that foundation, and that house won't won't move because that is a true foundation. That is Christ Himself. So the, the 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 foundation for the Christian, the one the thing that everything in his life is anchored on is Christ. The, the Paul says that in Ephesians chapter two, where he. We, we are laying, building the church on the foundation of the, the, of the apostles and the prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone. There, everything's tied together to Christ. That's, that's what we build. And if we build on anything else, we're building on sinking sand or on movable sand. And when the storms of life hit, the house is gone because it's not built on Christ anymore. And as he continues to describe the Christian life, Paul leaves the gardening and the construction, uh, the, the garden, he leaves the garden, he leaves the construction site, and goes to the military world. Look at verse 7 again. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. The word established here is word of a soldier standing firm on his feet. Is a soldier ready to fight. Nothing can move him because he's established on his position. Uh, there's no way that he's going to be overcome because he's established in, in, in that spot. It conveys the idea of being confirmed, encouraged, strengthened. And by Paul's time, it meant to increase in inner strength. So the Christian established in Jesus Christ. And notice that the Christian walks in Christ by being established in the faith, the creed, the faith delivered to the church. Part of walking in Christ is increasing in knowing the faith, the creed that we have received. We need to grow in Christ. Part of, of, of abounding thankfulness is getting to know Him better. It's getting to know His Word. It's studying Him, growing in Him. It is to be teachable in His Word. And there's even a requirement to be an elder is that you're teachable in His Word. Now, people, people want new things. People want shortcuts. Cuts. Now, uh, often people say, can you just stop the theory and get to the how-to? Just tell me what to do. That's, that's, that's what I want. Or people are looking for mystical things that uh, somehow would help them to grow in Christ. But the Spirit says that good old studying the Bible, listening to sermons, reading good books about the Bible is walking in Jesus is being established in the faith, ready to not be moved. And lastly, Paul describes the Christian walk with Christ as a life of thanksgiving. All these things, thing, all these things are leading us to this life of thanksgiving. Look again at verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. 
Let me say that, that those words in it, in a New King James, should not be there. The verse should end, abounding with thanksgiving. That's our characteristic, abounding with thanksgiving. Remember that Paul is talking about the Christian life. So giving thanks is not something we do once a year, but something we are something we are. A Christian is a thankful person. Period. That's our state of being. And also notice that the measure of thanksgiving. It says that to abound with thanksgiving. Uh, Paul didn't say be filled with thanksgiving. And I think he didn't say that because if you if you say that you're to be filled, there's a limit. Right? The word abounding means overflowing. Now, you can never measure that, right? If you have... Uh, a cup and it, keep, it keeps on overflowing you don't know how much is in there you don't know what the top is because it's, it's overflowing and that's what we're called to be he teaches us that we are to be in a state of thanksgiving that's constant and unending why? why should you be thankful? the pastor my life stinks everything is going wrong um, why should I be thankful? Well, Paul says that he's not talking about anything else in your life, but the fact that you have Christ. That is the basis for thanksgiving. Not how providential your life is going, not the blessings or curses that are going on, not the people around you, not the lack of people around you, not the bad people around you, but the fact that you have Christ. That's the only reason he gives us. Excludes everything else. He gives us Christ. Let me ask you this. Would the Christian have reasons to be thankful, truly thankful from the heart, even if he became really sick and suffered a physical malady for a long time? Would he have reason to be thankful? Would the Christian have reason to be thankful if his wife became very sick, suffered, and died? Would the Christian have reason to be thankful if his children died? Would a, children, would, would a Christian have reason to be thankful if his children turned away from the Lord? Would a Christian have a reason to be thankful if he lost everything he had? Would a Christian have a reason to be thankful if he was falsely accused of doing something bad and lost his reputation? According to Paul in Colossians 2, the answer is yes to every one of them. Because we have Christ. None of this takes away from whom Christ is who we are in Him and the promises of the gospel. Now, don't, take, don't get me wrong. We pray that things would change. And we pray heartfelt prayers. We, we labor on our knees in tears that things would change, that God's providence would shine with goodness in our lives. But that does not mean that we do not have eternal reasons to be thankful. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 prayed, prayed that the Lord remove this thorn in his flesh. And when the answer was, no, my grace is sufficient for you, he responded by saying, I am most glad. I most gladly will boast in my infirmities because when I'm weak, I am strong. The fruit of thankfulness is invariably contentment, and vice versa. 
contentment and thankfulness feed on each other. And contentment breeds peace. Isn't the reason for most conflicts in our lives that we are discontent with other people? That's what James says in James chapter 4. Why do you have conflicts in your lives? Isn't that because of the desires of your heart that are going unmet? Isn't the root issue of our depressions the fact that we are discontent with our situations? Couldn't we say the same with our anxieties, our pity parties, and so on? Peace, completeness in life comes from a contented heart. And a contented heart springs out of a thankful heart. And a thankful heart is a heart that has received, received Christ. So let me ask you again. Are you thankful for Christ? We have received Christ. We are rooted, grounded, and established in Him. Therefore, we walk with Him in every day, every situation with thankful hearts. This time of the year gives us a great opportunity to make a, re- a new or perhaps a renewed commitment to be thankful since we have Christ. Do you have Christ? If so, are you thankful for Him? Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a good God to us. We thank you for giving us Christ. We pray that we would abound in thanksgiving as we are rooted and grounded in him. For asking Jesus' name, amen.